Hey there, guys. Wanted to tell you about something new. I've launched a Patreon account, patreon.com slash Andrew Brand. People have asked about getting more content, more insight, more information from me, and now that's available through various tiers. If you're able to join on patreon.com, you can get shout outs from me. You can get the Business of Sports podcast transcripts. You can get Ask Andrew questions, weekly newsletters, all kinds of ways to interact with me, including a monthly conversation about whatever you want to talk about, jobs in the sports industry, breaking into sports. It's all available now on patreon.com, Andrew Brandt. If you're able, please join, select your tier, and be able to have further content and interaction with me. Patreon.com slash Andrew Brandt. I hope you join. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. I saw a Vanity Fair article in the past week by an old friend of mine from ASPN Days, Bamani Jones. I've always enjoyed his commentary on social issues, on all kinds of issues revolving around players and sports. He wrote about college football and the paradigm of power between college football players and those who they work for and administrations and the house, sort of the house of cards that college football is built on as everything is dependent on this free labor that they provide. Just an always an interesting conversation with Bomani, and I thought I'd have him on, something I, somebody I wanted to have on for quite some time, to really sort of engage in intellectual and open and honest conversation about the issues of today in pro sports and college sports, social justice issues, etc. So, without further ado, my guest this week on the Business of Sports podcast, the one and only Bomani Jones. Always enjoyed talking to smart people that uh, bring a different perspective. Well, Monty Jones is one of my favorite commentators out there. Uh, great to have you on the podcast. I've been lo- wanting to get you for a while, my man. No, oh, man, I'm glad to be on. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, how you been uh, since the world stopped on March 12th? <laughs> As we now are in, uh, hit September, describe your life since. Ah, I mean, I feel like in some ways I'm a little too well prepared to just be stuck inside, <laughs> you know, for all of this. Like at first, actually, when it happened, New York, as bad as it was in terms of what like the, you know, the COVID rates were and stuff like that, as far as a place to be in that circumstance, it wasn't so bad. Like once you just realize, okay, I can't get on the subway. Well, just about everything you ever need in this city is within a block or two, you know? So like it was built for you to walk around. So I didn't find myself losing it in that way. You know, you only got, I've only got like two people, three that I've seen at all really in the course of time. Like that part's been a little bit difficult. But, you know, then everything else has kind of happened and it's not the happiest time in the world, but at least for like the kind of work I do and stuff like that has been kind of invigorating, you know, to get some things done. And there are a lot of important and interesting things uh, to talk about. But I mean, we might be where we are for another year. That's the thing that gets me is this. There is no end in sight. Yeah, no. And spinning that to sports, you know, this whole thing, sports basically shut down over one positive test with Gobert, right? So the NBA calls it, all the leagues follow, all the world follows. Adam Silver was kind of president for that week. You know, he kind of let it off. Yes. And now we got not tens, not dozens, but hundreds, maybe thousands of positive tests in sports. But we're going. Yeah, like the thing that... Yeah, the thing that gets me about when Silver shut it down is the thing that I've been looking back on more and more about this is the more I read, the more I realize that the excuse I'm not buying from anybody is we didn't know this was coming. You know, like people had a decent bit of lead time to have 
some idea that this specific thing was coming, but generally that something like this would happen. Like, there's a grocery store chain in Texas called AGB that apparently got caught with their pants down during H1N1. And then after that said, that would never happen again. And when this first happened, they were ready. They had their supply mass. They had their plan for what to do with the store. Like when everybody was fumbling, like the thing they didn't expect was that there was going to be a run on paper products. But everything else, like they were by and large ready for, like all these major institutions, if they did not know this was coming, this is all their own fault. And so the thing I always gave silver credit for, and I said it leading up to it, I was like, look, first positive test in the whole league has to shut down because you just had to think about what the degrees of separation were going to be for all the players, you know, and everything that that meant. I was like, as soon as you get one positive test, it's done. And it just really blows my mind now that we look back on it, that in March, Everybody was just crossing their fingers and hope they could get through. Like the NCAA was just like, well, maybe we could get the tournament started. And then it was like, right. nah, you can't, you can't get no tournament started. They all had to know that eventually this is going to end. And now we fast forward to September and things are literally no better than they were in March. But we're going to go. We're going to go. Right. Like the NFL, they seem to have figured it out. Right. And my belief has been if you have figured it out, then you should go ahead and do it. The NBA figured it out. Go ahead and do it. If the NFL has got this figured out, Go ahead and do it. College football is just a disaster, you know, and we're just we're, we're, we're finding out how we're finding out who spent up all their money already is what I think we're really learning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I want to get to college football with you and your great article at Vanity Fair. I just think that we have data now. So we have data and the data says before we get to NFL and baseball, the data says bubbles work. OK, so we got NHL, we got MLS, we got WNBA and of course, NBA. I mean, dude, they're down to zero infections, zero, not one or two, zero, all these leagues. So we got data, bubbles work. Now we get to baseball and football, forget a a pro, and we're seeing, okay, when they get there, they've all been somewhere else. They've been doing some partying, wherever, we got problems. But once they're there, even though they're not bubbled, it seems to be they can control this. Now, everything is, could change tomorrow. But what I'm seeing from baseball and football in the pro level is, okay, there were problems when they got there, but now they've managed to sort of have a controlled bubble, bubble at work and go home. And basically that seems to be working now. It could all change at a, at a dime and we could not have the NFL in, a, in five days. It could be all over. But is that the way you're seeing it? Like this bubble thing is not only working, but you can extend it somewhat and really make it work beyond just a, a, a Disney event. Yeah, like my, my problem with baseball was they didn't seem to have the second step of the plan, right? Yeah. So like what if a whole bunch of people on a team catch it? Somehow they never considered what in the world they were going to do, right? Like yeah. this is a obviously foreseeable thing that could happen, and they didn't have a plan oh. on it. That that made me look at them funny. But the thing that I found to be most interesting about the way it played out in baseball is what happened with those two dudes in Cleveland when they broke the quarantine circle. And what I think we learned from that is that players themselves may have the greatest power to enforce whatever the bubble is going to be because those guys went out and they hung out that night and then one of them got on a plane and didn't tell people he had hung out that night and everybody else on the team felt so betrayed where I think one of them, they just traded one of them away. Yeah, he's good. Clevenger. Yeah. yeah. And he's good. Like, it's, it's like this isn't, this isn't one of those situations of like Jimmy Johnson cutting Kirby Richards for falling asleep in a meeting. Right? right. Like, like this is like cutting him and Smith. They, they said, no, we're not going to do this. And I think that set a tone to let everybody know just how like deathly serious it is that they're going to have to be about this. 
And I think we're seeing that also in the NFL. They got the money for the test. That's a key part of this that I think that gets forgotten across the board is can you afford all the, you know, the requisite right. testing? And so if you've got the money for the test and you've made the decision that we're going to make this thing go, it, it does look like they figured something out on how to get it done. And if they figured it out, then they should absolutely go ahead and do it, period. He said baseball may not have been ready. I, I still don't know what the plan is in the NFL, which, as you said, has the most resources of anyone. If your right guard tests positive on Friday, okay, does that mean you have to quarantine right tackle, left tackle? I mean, the whole offensive line and then the whole defensive line, which you practice against, and then everyone they practice. I mean, they're talking about half your team. Right. Like, I don't I think people have thought about NFL. that. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that, but yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think people have thought about the fact of what these two deeps are going to look like at yeah. various points. Yeah, and that's a little scary because I. You're right. We're doing great. NFL's doing great, but it could change in a heartbeat. Yeah, and I mean, people. The difference between football and basketball is that people will watch the best basketball, right? Like very good basketball isn't quite good enough. People will watch just about any football that you put on TV. Like the quality of play is not nearly as tied to what makes it a compelling product as much as it is with basketball. And I think that's what the NFL is betting on. You know, now, granted, we've seen this happen, though, late in seasons when we start seeing the injuries pile up and the ratings aren't quite so good with some of the star power, you know, is no longer there. But I mean, they think I think they're betting on the idea that as long as we get enough people out here in uniforms, and we can keep our quarterbacks not sick then we'll be able to keep this thing going. And, you know, the stakes are so high financially for these leagues. And I think it's easy for us to just look at it in the context of them being greedy. But I think that what we've learned in this is if you want to talk about the greed of these institutions, it's the greed that's led them to be so heavily leveraged and try to get every dime out of it that they can in the short run that none of them could handle a real emergency. Right. Like none of them were ready for the rainy day that seems to have come. That's a big thing in college. Uh, it's a big thing we've seen in the NBA that these so many of these guys, they got money, but not quite in the way that you would think. Yeah. And I, I think what we're seeing, what you said was so, so right, because I'm a basketball fan. But these kind of playing games before the playoffs in the bubble. And I was looking forward to sports like everyone, star, like right. star. But like, eh, I don't know about that. I mean, watching <laughs> what do they call them? Like seating games. Yeah. I'm like, you want us to watch seating games when we're just kind of there to see the playoffs? And you're right with football. Put them on. I mean, Central Arkansas is drawing ratings the other night. <laughs> so I, I think that's where we are as this country now. On the NBA in the bubble. So here we go. We got. <laughs> All this is sports is shut down. George Floyd happens. We got social justice in the news and and spilling over to sports. That dies down, and then Jacob Blake happens, and then this happens last week. What do you think? You know, I was teaching a class. My students like, hey, Milwaukee's not playing, and then another one. They're not going to play the next game. They're not going to play the next game. Did you see this as one of these? Uh, Bill Russell, Jim Brown moments. Did you see it as something less than that? You see it as kind of a they'll figure it out tomorrow kind of thing? Yeah, it was interesting because I was on a vacation that week. So I was a bit detached. And 
I long ago made a personal decision that I was done like watching these videos. Like you can tell me about it, but I, I can't I can't go on that roller coaster ride every time one of these things happens when I have a general idea of what the point is. Like like me for me watching those videos individually, it's not gonna sway me. It's not gonna take me to a new place. I am where I am on that. And so, you know, to save myself in some ways, I don't really watch them. But if you combine that with me being a little detached from the scene for a little bit, I don't think I had a grasp on just how the Jacob Blake shooting was affecting the country because I wasn't really keeping my finger on the pulse of where people were coming from. And so you fast forward to Wednesday, which is my birthday, and I hear they're not playing. And I say, oh, wow, this is a big thing, obviously, that Milwaukee um, is not playing. But it made perfect sense to me that Milwaukee would not play because what we're talking about is in their backyard. Like I thought it, it meant something different to the team in Wisconsin than it would for the team in Florida or the team in Oklahoma or anywhere. So I got it stood to reason that they could or would decide that they were not going to play. Um, what I don't think they did the math on was there's no way that the magic could accept a forfeit under those circumstances, right? As, as men with pride and no. with everything no. else, right? Like you couldn't do that. And so after they decided they weren't going to play, then it made sense that it was going to be a trickle down and that nobody was going to play. And then it became a discussion of, are they going to leave the bubble? And I was like, there's no chance. <laughs> zero, zero. The, the, the stakes are just too high. And like, aside from the financial stakes being too high for owners and players, I also felt that whatever they were going to do had more value with the platform provided by the bubble than it would from outside of it. So I, I never thought for a second that the whole thing was going to shut down. But I also didn't think that it was quite as massive a moment. I did think it was a big one just because the team was willing to do it. And I thought that it was big that they demonstrated that they could then from the locker room get the owner on the phone and say, we're yeah. trying to push through this bill in the Wisconsin State House um, for a police accountability. And the owner make that phone call in front of them. And now there's an emergency session to right. discuss that bill. That's big to me. Like That's that, I think, is leveraging what they had as much as you possibly could do it. But I also thought that it was the right time for them to do it just because the owners at the very least have paid them lip service to say that they are on their side. And so this was a test of that. You know, like, OK, now we've got this thing. We are hurting like we don't really have it in us to play, to be perfectly honest. And this is what we can do for the cause. We can we can leverage our relationship with you in order to make something happen. And that, I thought, said a lot about the players. I thought that that part, even if it happened spontaneously, was well thought out. But then it did lead us to what's going to happen next. And so it was big. But I think if it's for it to remain big, it has to be the beginning. And I'm wondering what the next steps are going to be, really not just for the players, but also for the owners. Like the owners at some point are going to have to look up and realize that the players have a lot of leverage in this situation in terms of getting things done, especially after the owners took the steps of putting Black Lives Matter on the floor, putting right. the PSAs, you know, during the commercial breaks. If they deviate from that message, it gets really ugly really fast. You know, I thought they kind of were strategic. They meaning the owners. If you remember, this was a joint statement. Like yeah. we, not not them, we are postponing the NBA and NBPA. And uh, there are words like boycott and strike. It's not a boycott or strike if the management is on, on the same page. Right. <laughs> and so 
I agree with you. And then they got the voting, uh, the arenas are going to be voting booths, which is great. That's action. That's an action step. But I worry like you, and we can move to the NFL in this discussion, because I worry that this moment of solidarity will be cool. It's all cool now, but owners are going to be like, all right, back to basketball. Just like, you know, the NFL owners locked arms after the president's son of bitches remark in 2017. And that that lasted one week. (laughs) Like Jerry Jones locking arms one week and then they're off to, hey, hey, back to business. No problem. So I worry and God forbid there's some other incident like a Jacob Blake that happens and players really walk out and the owners are like, screw you. You know, well, we gave you that one time. So I think it's great. I'm like you, but I think it's tenuous. I think it's tenuous. And I guess what I'm saying is, what do you think if this moves over, like you said, to a couple of these star NFL players? that may want to make a similar statement. You know, not, like you said, not the lineman, not not the backup, but you get a Mahomes or you get a Saquon out there saying, I just don't feel it. You know, how will owners react to that? Well, here's where I think this gets interesting. And I think your background in this is particularly useful as you have worked as an agent and also worked as an executive. And if there's one thing that you know, and it had to be frustrating as an agent, but helpful as an executive is, these guys are really indoctrinated toward the greater good of a football team. Oh, yeah. And the idea of betraying a football team for any reason is really hard for those guys to really wrap their minds around. Like I've been doing a lot of reporting on what's going on in uh, college football. Yeah. And in talking to those guys, you hear it a lot. Like like their, their loyalty. And I guess alliteration plays into this where you have the people who do the three F's, family, faith, and football, right? There are no three B's for basketball and baseball that have that (laughs) same weight. And people hold football, you know, into that same place. And so it's harder for me to imagine a circumstance where NFL players in mass or even the star guys really go that hard in one direction about this, assuming the owners don't do anything to insult them. And I think that that's the dangerous game really for the owners in this is, and this is, I think, in part why we don't hear any of them say anything whatsoever, is don't say anything to poke them. Like they've done the players coalition thing and I've got my disagreements with it. But, you know, if I'm the NFL, I'm leaning in on the players coalition right now. And I'm like, hey, what can we do to help you guys out? Right. Like I'm going there to show that we're putting that we're putting forth some effort. But football players are trained to believe and understand that they'll just go find another one of me. And they watch it happen every single day, right? Like they watch guys suffer some of the most catastrophic injuries of the world. Like Alex Smith, it's such a moving story that they got Alex Smith back out there. But when Alex Smith got hurt, it took him a while, but they got him on that stretcher. They got him off the field and then they kept on going like nothing ever happened. Yeah. No, I know it so well. And as you referenced, and I always say the business of sports comes down to this. So many players, so few jobs. Yeah. (laughs) And there'll always be someone to replace you. Now you have these, these superstars and, and Mahomes being on that video and, and Deshaun, and that's great. But, and that brings attention, but you're right. It's going to be much harder in the NFL. It's almost like, you know, the bubble created that so unique atmosphere where all these guys are there. Yeah. You know, it's not like they're doing zoom, like they're there and they're having that meeting, which I hope there's video somewhere <laughs> I'm 30 for 30 next year. Um, and LeBron supposedly this, and Pat Bev's what yelling at Michelle Roberts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
Can you imagine that? You talk about uh, the, the, the all for one. I mean, I'm sure LeBron and others felt one way and the, the rank and file felt another. And then you got vocal. I mean, wow. And it's worth noting, those guys are miserable right now. Yes. Um, and, and, and I say that and it seems like a playful thing to bring up, but I think it's an important factor. Like they're stuck in there. And I understand that these are 1% problems, but something I always say to people about like when people pick a hotel, Nobody wants to stay in a hotel that isn't as nice as their house, right? So like the hotels you were willing to stay in before and they change as you go through life, they change at the same pace as your actual house changes. Yeah, they, when you lived in something like the Hampton Inn, the Hampton Inn wasn't so bad, right? Now the Hampton Inn doesn't land with me the way it used to. And these dudes are living every day in a hotel that is beneath the standard of the lifestyle that they are accustomed to. They are walled off from family in so many ways. And like I've been told that like guys don't even really sleep in there. They're just up at all hours of the night because it's just such a foreign like life that they're living while they're in this bubble. And they're just on their phones. They're checking yeah. these social media feeds. And look, I get up every morning and I try to find one thing on my social media feed that counts as good news every day. And that takes a while, man. Like it takes a really long time. So these dudes are taking in all this negative imagery and all these people that are telling them all these things. And if you're not playing well, you got people saying all these things to you to mention, like you're living like Paul George. And I, when he said that he had gotten a little depressed, I really had to rethink it and just yeah. imagine what it's like if you don't play well and you're there. So you got all of this and people are getting antsy and people are ready to go and whatever rivalries they have amongst each other. Those are all starting to flare up. You're getting tired of the guys that are on your team, everything else. And then the world is crashing around you. And this and, you know, a lot of these guys are in their early 20s, you know, and this thing for a lot of them, they're having, I think, a bit of an awakening about what's going on in the world. And so you put all of those things together and it's right for dudes to be like, yeah, we're not playing this game. We're just ready to go home. You know, like when Jalen Brown said, you need to ask yourself, do you want to go home? because you want to go home or do you want to go home because you want to do something? That right. was an important question. Cause I can only imagine how badly a lot of those guys just want to go home. Um, and so I'm with you. I I'm, I've been fascinated by the bubble in every way since they got there, but you're right now, all these guys are in proximity and they can do a different kind of talk and they can do a different kind of organization. And as you put it, it's a different level of fighting and a different level of arguing and bickering all with LeBron James trying to be Muhammad Ali. Like it's a lot going on. Yeah, you resonate with me. I remember, I mean, sometimes I ask myself when we were playing these games in January in Green Bay, especially big, important playoff games, I'm like, are guys really, really going out of, maybe they just want to get out of here. <laughs> they're they're a, a day away from Florida or Texas or California if they lose. That, that, that sort of always was in my mind, you know. Back to the great discussion with the one and only Bamani Jones in a minute. First, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. Football is right around the corner. No better place to get in on all the action than DraftKings Sportsbook. It's America's top-rated sportsbook app. And to celebrate the return of football, here's what they're doing. Have you ever heard of a football team losing by 100 points? For week one, DraftKings is ensuring that if Kansas City were to lose in that historic fashion, you would still cash your bet. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread to Kansas City plus 101 for all users. So even if Kansas City loses by 100 points... You still win big with DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings is giving away $100 million in prizes to all users who enter the free football survivor pool. All you have to do is sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, enter their survivor pool, and you'll instantly get a share of up to $100 million in giveaways. Download that sports top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app. 
Use promo code ROSS, R-O-S-S, all caps. Take advantage of this no-brainer of an offer. That's promo code ROSS. Get in on all the action for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of first deposit bonus and first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Anyway, I want to move to uh, college. I, I, what, what has gotten into you regarding college football in terms of wanting to write this article for Vanity Fair, taking a strong interest, um, knowing you as I do from our time at ESPN, I never really saw you as the college football guy, but you have a strong interest here. Tell us about that. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, like my first like time as a full time employee at ESPN was from 2006 to 2007. I was on staff at ESPN.com's uh, page two. And my area of emphasis on that stuff was actually college football. Oh, okay. like that, that, yeah, like this is actually one of my things. It just so happens that the kind of work that I do now. College football does not make the top of the rundown on a show on Monday because the NFL happened on Sunday, right? The NFL just pushes everything out. And then as the season goes on and you get bigger games, now on Friday we might talk about LSU and Alabama coming up this weekend. But, like, the kind of work I do, it just doesn't bring it in. But this is college football as a product and as something to enjoy and watch has always been something that has kind of fascinated me. Um, just as a fan and as an observer, I'm into all the insanity that everybody else is into. I love the people element of it, right? Because it's it's so nonsensical. This whole game is powered by rich people who just like to give their money away. You know, like like it just it, like none of it makes any sense. You get all your state politics in it involved. Like I love all that <laughs> stuff. Um, and then there's the other level, which is the young people. And so, like my parents are college professors. I've worked as a college professor at various points. Like like that element affects me and I'm into it. And I'm also very much so as a matter of principle opposed to the way that the NCAA does business and just the idea that they do not pay these guys, that they're just, they try to pay them. They try to pay them with the right to go to class and the classes are there just to maintain the facade of the academics, because that's what's necessary to paint the picture the aesthetic that they try to create around the whole thing. So that's always been something for me. So when Vanity Fair came around, we had a different idea um, at first, which was I was, going to try to get an interview with Roger Goodell. I sent an email to the, uh, the NFL. I didn't say what I wanted to ask. I had an idea because somebody called me back and they never called me back. And I was like, okay. I talked to the editors and said, well, how about this? I see the plight of the college athlete as a civil rights matter. And I want to explore the idea of power and rights for the college athlete. And we went with it. And the big point I wanted to make, and I think it's something that you know, is important to remember with all this stuff is the momentous things that we've seen happen via civil rights movements and stuff like that and the gains that black people have made have all been just to get to the level like it's not extracting any level of surplus it's just hey you said we could vote can we vote all right and so it's just getting to this basic baseline of stuff and i wanted to explore the idea of whether college athletes actually had any power because i think that people get intoxicated in times like these by watching young people rebel and you know we, we long for the days that we could be carefree enough not to have to worry about those things but I think it's dangerous to talk about how much power these guys have because it implies that they like the way things are. And so I just really wanted to talk to some people and just kind of explore some of the things that have happened this summer post-COVID and with the Black Lives Matter movement and everything else to really get a look at college football players and say, 
How much power do they really have? How much can they themselves actually do? And implicit in that being a recognition that their limitations as to what they can do. And therefore, the rest of us need to consider how it is that we can help because these guys have no agency whatsoever. They have no advocates in the space that they are in. And so they just fighting and nobody's got their backs at all. And so I wanted to leave people with an understanding of just how naked and vulnerable they are. you got some great anecdotes in there. I mean, you start with the judge, retired judge in North Carolina that was helping out a couple athletes, right? Or an athlete. Yeah. And he says to the CA guy, you know, he's a lawyer that hasn't been in this world, right? He said, I've read your 400-page regulations manual. I didn't see a word in there about athletes' rights. And as you recount, the NCA guy said, yeah, that's right. Yep, that was it. That's a good. That's a really good question. That's where the rights were. And the gentleman's name is Bob Bohr. He was a justice on the Supreme Court of the state of North Carolina. And like you got to understand, Bob's a lifelong conservative. Like this is not some bleeding heart liberal type who's approaching this. But what happens, I find with college sports, and he's a he's been a fan, but he never thought about it, right? But I find that with college sports, the more divorced people are from the games, the more shocked they are to find out how this stuff works. Like they just can't believe it when they're like, really, they don't get paid at all. Like, like, like not, not for anything. Like this is what happens. And so what I think happened with Bob is that he was, uh, has an astute legal mind. And as he was reading this in his capacity as a legal advisor, he got in there and realized this is insane. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like he, like he got there just like, he could not believe all this is like one thing I've always found interesting about the NFL is when a guy in college gets caught taking money and people say, well, how do you think that will affect his draft stock? I'm like, dude, everybody in the NFL thinks this stuff is stupid. Like they think this is crazy. This is not where they're drawing the moral line because they also find it absurd. And so talking to Bob and just, and I had talked to him many years ago, almost about 10 years ago with some of this. And it was just interesting to see for him as he realized, wow, this whole thing is just, I can't believe that this is the world that they have set up. And he was blown away by how few rights the players had in any way. What do you, do you make suggestions about how to gain further power? from this paradigm that we're in now? So the problem with that, with the players, and I it's, I think it's kind of, it would be irresponsible for me in my place to be the one to say this, but I can quote a gentleman I talked to uh, named Andrew Cooper, who's been working with the Pac-12 players. He's a cross-country runner. I had him on the podcast. Yeah, he's great. He's, he's excellent. And Andrew made a great point. And he said, he learned that the only way to build a labor movement is through a work stoppage. Like the only chance that they really have, I think, to get the things that they ultimately want is they would have to be able to stop playing. Because what happened with COVID was it exposed just how desperate these programs are for the players labor. Right. Like the fact that they're willing to go through all of this and take all this risk. And look, the players are the ones assuming most of the risk. But if you're a boss, you're still taking the risk of this happening on your watch. And that's not something that can make anybody comfortable. But they're willing to take all this risk because the money is so important. And the only way that they can get the money is if the players play. And I think that that has become clearer than ever to more players. And in the Pac-12, where I talked to most of the players that I had discussed these things with, it wasn't just stars. It wasn't just rank and file. It seemed to be all the way up and down the board that they had a bunch of guys who now fully understood the way that this system um, was going to work. And I think Jamar Chase and this thing that just happened with him, where he just said, why, for who, for what? Why am I coming back to play this? 
these are the things that I think has to make the NCAA nervous because these guys, a lot of these guys are realizing that the trade they're getting is just insufficient. Yeah. I mean, I think the opt outs, you talked about Jamar Chase, Micah Parsons, the couple kids from Miami, a kid from Purdue. I think they're looking at and saying, yeah, well, I'm out, you know, and as I know from my old world, agents will now take care of them. Yes. And they'll send them off to athletes performance or IMG and they'll pay for room board shake after every workout nutrition counsel everything for the next six months yeah and i'm and uh jonathan jones of cbs uh wrote a column about this and he mentioned that the agents are rolling out some incredible packages you know and there's some agents that have gotten some investment lately you know they get a little little infusion of capital and now they could throw this around like this is a great time to land clients a great time to land clients and if i'm a player and i also not just a great time to land clients but I, it's not really even going to cost them that much money, right? So you pay for the training and to put them up while they're training or whatever, everything else. But in the end, you can give one of these guys, like you might not be able to buy your fancy car yet, but you can get one of these guys $40,000. And, you know, for, for the year that we're talking about, and if your rent is covered, $40,000 will get you pretty far. <laughs> it's so funny because speaking of agents, when I talk to agents about corruption in college sports, you know, they all they all sort of say to me, hey, Andrew, you know, by the time we get to these guys, they're set up. I'm like, what do you mean set up? They're set up. What do you, what do you mean? They're got something going and, 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 you know, boosters, whatever. It's happening for them. So I think what, what we're pointing out is this sort of this, this house of cards that college football has been propping up for all these years. Two anecdotes you talked about in your story, Vanity Fair, great piece by Bamani Jones and Vanny Fair, the Colin Hill example. Now, this is a kid. Explain it exactly because is it too too much to say that he changed the Confederate flag issue in Mississippi? Yes. I one hundred percent believe that it is, and I don't want to be the one to rain on the young man's parade, right? Like I want to be clear about that because he sent the tweet that said he won't play under that flag anymore and that he was tired, and that was courageous. Like yeah. that took heart for him to do that was not without some measure of risk. So I don't want to downplay what it took for him to do it. But after the shooting at Mother Emanuel AME Church uh, in Charleston, South Carolina in 2015, the Confederate flag became an endangered species in the South, whether people realize it or not. That's when South Carolina went ahead and took the Confederate flag down from the state house, for example, was right after that. And at that same time, we didn't put this in the, uh, we edited this out of the Vanity Fair story, but at that same time, important people in the state of Mississippi started saying that they wanted the flag down. That became the official position of the University of Mississippi and of Mississippi State. Uh, there's a gentleman named Philip Gunn, who is con- the Speaker of the House in Mississippi, is considered to be the most uh, powerful politician in the state. He also, since 2015, has wanted for the Confederate flag to come down in that state. So we already had those people in place that wanted it. Um, out of nowhere, I thought, the Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, he put out the statement that said that the SEC would not host championships there until the Confederate flag came down. And then after that, the schools put out their statements reiterating that in 2015, they said they wanted it down, and then it kept going. So. 
few days after that, all the coaches show up at the state house. They have an emergency hearing, you know, and, and they vote for the, you know, vote for the bill. They ultimately go and take the vote down and take the flag down. And in that time, Kylan Hill, after all these other things that's happened, Kylan Hill says the things that he did. So can we say that he changed the flag if also on board with changing the flag before Kylan Hill said anything were the Speaker of the House, the two flagship institutions, uh, universities, of the state um, and all these other people that he ultimately had behind him. They all said the same thing. Now we love it in sports to be able to go look at it and then say that guy did that. Right. We could say what he learned in college was strength and everything else. Like it is, right. it, it goes to all our narratives that we point out, but he didn't make that happen. He was a part of the story and he was courageous in saying what he did. But he didn't make that happen. And the point that I wanted to make in the story was we can't let our desire to tell pretty stories interfere with telling the truth on what had happened. Because if he had done that, but the school was not on board with it, how much differently does this go? Right. And then the story of Chuba Hubbard. Is that his name? Chuba? Chuba. Uh, Chuba. Yeah. Oklahoma State who had had enough of uh, Mike Gundy's uh, statements and OAN and all that. And they kissed and made up and it looked like a hostage video that they <laughs> put together at the end of that. Yeah. Anything, well, anything lasting come out of that? Do you think? I'll just say this. I requested uh, to speak with Chuba Hubbard via Oklahoma state sports information uh, director and keep in mind, they had made him available for a lot of stuff when it first happened, right? Yeah. They told me that he never got back to them. I had somebody ask you before me if they ever got in touch with him, and he said no. That'll tell you the power dynamic at play as we speak. You know, like there, like there it is right there. Like they didn't, and, and granted, I know my reputation in sports information departments across the country. They get a little worried when I start talking about it. I get that. They don't, they, they don't think I'm offering good news yeah. uh, when I come and show up. It normally works out better if you give me the person, though, right? You give me the person, they can temper what I'm thinking. That happened to me in the course of reporting this also. I was prepared to write a fiery screed about one school. They gave me the coach, and I talked to him and was like, huh, that makes a lot of sense. Huh. You know. And then I had to rethink it, and it turned into something else. <laughs> You'd like the uh, you're like when 60 Minutes calls the tobacco companies back in the day. Yes. <laughs> yes. Don't get back to them. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, I just want to confirm a couple of details. Yeah, I bet you do. I bet you do. Uh, as we wrap up, we'll spin it to what's happening today. I mean, we have three of the power five conferences. They're going right. They're the NFL. They're going. Yeah. The uh, the SEC, the Big 12 and the um, and the ACC. Pac-12 not playing, Big Ten, here we go. They say they're not playing. Kevin Warren, who I know from my days in the NFL, he, I was at Packers, he was at the Vikings. <laughs> this contentious of what's going on with him and what's going on with his players and parents. And lo and behold, the president has weighed in this morning saying he talked to Kevin Warren, <laughs> which is all Kevin Warren needs right now. Yes, right? yes. What do you think comes out of that? You think Big Ten's going to end up playing? I mean, I don't think they could play anytime soon, right? Like this November plan, maybe what they're talking about. Apparently, I saw a report. Um, apparently, they're trying to get into the stockhold, like the stockpile. What does that mean? For testing. 
like like the, the uh, stockpile of testing all the stuff that that's what they would need is additional testing and there are a lot of swing states in that conference okay <laughs> here, here, here's what i'll say about this whole college football experiment ames iowa and iowa city iowa are among the top 10 infection rates in the world right now. The world. I can't see how in the world this is possible. Like, I think it's going to fall apart in the ACC. We see North Carolina had to send everybody home. Like, college students, they're just so irresponsible. And (laughs) that's just the existence they live. You're not going to be able to make that happen. I don't think in college Alabama's sports. Football. Got, Alabama's got a thousand cases. They do. They do. And see, and where Kevin Warren got himself in trouble is one, he's new. Jim Delaney has been the king of that conference for decades. Um, Delaney's gone now. Kevin Warren's the new guy that's there. He's not worked in this space before. And what he did not expect to happen was he did not expect all his presidents to sell him out. They obviously took a vote and decided that this was not going to work. And they left him out there holding the bag. And he did a terrible job of presenting it. Like, there are no heroes um, in this case. There are none whatsoever. But the doctors seem to all be like, don't do this. This is not a good idea. Don't do this. And these other conferences are deciding that one way or another, they're going to try to make it work. But again, Auburn right now, they got a problem where they couldn't practice for a stretch of time. Because I don't know how you're going to fill out these depth charts once somebody catches this and somebody's going to catch it, at which point your whole team is vulnerable. So is it that simple? The difference between college and pro is that they're 18 to 22 and they can't resist partying. <laughs> I, well, I think it's also just because you have to send them back to dorms. Yeah. You know, and once you do that, that, that flips the whole game up, I think. Yeah. And then it goes back to your premise, despite all this risk, all these teams are playing. If there's a way to do it, man, and again, if you can, go ahead and do it. And by the way, Iowa State, with this crazy infection rate, allowing 25,000 fans into the, in for football this year, and honestly, I didn't know there were 25,000 people that would be willing to go watch that, but there they are. Like, think about how crazy this idea of the Big Ten playing in November is. I remember, you probably remember this, um, the year that the hole opened up in the roof in Minnesota, at, yeah. the, old, at the old dome, That's and they're right. like, and they're like, oh, what are we going to do? And they said, okay, well, they had just built the on-campus stadium for University of Minnesota. We're going to play over there. But it was in December. Yeah. It was frozen over, right? They had all these things they had to do because an outdoor stadium in Minnesota works for college football because you're done in November. Right. You can't play out there in December. They're going to be trying to play out there in December. And that's crazy. Yeah. Now think about if they move these things back into January. Oh my God! No, 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 no. Spring football. Spring. <laughs> I mean, it, they could play spring. First of all, to Justin Fields and them, they won't be there. No, yeah, they won't play. Well, that's part of what's so funny about Justin Fields' daddy being at the front of this. It's like, yo, man, if they push this back to, to November, you ain't gonna be there, right? Like, nor should you. No, anyone that's a pro prospect, why? No, no. Like, especially if you're a running back, if I was a running back and they're talking about taking that, forget about drafting me. If I am draft eligible, I'm not playing. This is crazy. Yeah. No. You think they'll play Big Ten? No. No. Even with Trump's comment, Trump working the working the stockpile? <laughs> Keep this in mind, though. They're dealing with some faculty revolts. Like Michigan, I think, yeah. just did a vote of no confidence on their president because they don't even want to be going into classes in order to do this. Like the thing we have to remember about the Big Ten versus the other conferences, the Pac-12 is kind of close, but not really. 
But the Big Ten is an academic conference as much as it is an athletic conference. And I think they're a little more concerned with how they look than the SEC is. Last question before I let you go. What's your big picture thought on the way sports has become this past, I don't know, year, two years, maybe since Kaepernick 2016? Do you see it as we're no longer, we are no longer the, the comic page, the toy department, that what happens in sports is like spilling over to society, obviously business law, but also the news. Like you yeah. can't treat it as the comic page anymore. Yeah, see, it's always spilled over. It's just now we're being more challenging as we deal with the spilling over. So, for example, to me, the greatest spillover of the other life into sports happened when George W. Bush threw that first pitch at Shea Stadium. After 9-11. After 9-11. Everything about sports changed after 9-11 in the way that we presented. And the NFL has always been long on the pageantry and the red, white, and blue and all of this stuff, but not like it has been for the last 20 years. Like, we didn't bring soldiers back every game you know it's just it's just on a completely different level now and so but we didn't challenge that because we just generally felt that that was what society needed at that time we needed a we needed a a a boost right and so we let that stuff ride when it happened then and this is kind of the same thing as that it's too big outside to ignore what is going on inside it's just that there is no both sides arguing the american flag after 9-11 there's still to a degree some both sides arguing um, on these things. Cause to me, like what the NBA is doing is cool, but like equality is not a bold statement, right? Like, like none of those things that they're saying, and I'm not judging them for this because I understand why it's the way it is, but none of these that we're dealing with right now are really bold statements. But where the difference is now is that we have a generation of younger people who are in a different place than they were when I was 20, right? So that's 20 years ago. When I was 20 or or so, we weren't in that same place as these kids are now. And they're tired of it. You know, they're the ones that are making it more impossible than anybody else. Do you think they have protection? College and pro, you know, for taking up these causes? I think in the pros, they're figuring out ways to engineer their protection because the truth is corporate culture on the macro was actually pretty liberal. Like their fiscal policy is obviously very conservative. But when you think about like what the rules are about working in an office, it falls more in line with what one would consider to be liberal culture than conservative. And so I think there's a certain level of backup that the pros are able to get. The college kids are naked out there. And I've seen it come up in the discussions that I've had with a lot of these guys. Like you've got some coaches that have really had their players backs and are really down for them. And I've come away very impressed without even actually talking to some of the coaches. I've come away very impressed by those coaches. Um, But some of them are scared to death and there's no way around it. They're scared of COVID. They're scared of the consequences. They're scared out there. They are, they are not protected, but I think the pros are in a bit of a better position. And man, you know, dudes have made a lot of money, you know, how, not to not to count them, not to get in their pockets, but for a lot of them, how much is you know how much is enough? Yeah, we may be in a different world in sports now. I mean, when are people going to be feel safe going packing stadiums anymore? And, well, you know, uh, sooner than we think. Maybe maybe for certain areas, I guess. But. Yeah, I ain't gonna be there. I'll no. tell you that. <laughs> All right, but mine is doing great. Always great to have intelligent and really open and honest communication with you. Enjoy our talks. Thanks for being on the pod. Anytime, man. I'm always here. All right, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Thank you.
Always a great conversation with Bomani. Good to finally get him on. I'll have him on again at some point soon. And that'll do it for this week's edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks to my producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal, my musical producer, the one and only Sam Brandt. And of course, thanks to you, Apple Podcasts, rankings and comments are always appreciated. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt, and I'll be back next week with yet another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.